Greetings and welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick with your hosts, Ray and Mark. In this episode, your intrepid hosts sit down with Professor Mike and discuss the Gospel of John. It's been said that the way of Jesus is the way of death and resurrection, the path of transformation from an old way of being to a new way of being. In the Gospels, myth is comprised of stories about the way things never were, but always are. Well, sh- shall we light this candle? It's <laughs> like a votive for what? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the Gospel of John. Should we, should we light this candle? I mean, it sounds <laughs> NASA-like when it's really gospel-like. <laughs> Welcome to a special episode of the Cathartic Yardstick uh, Podcast with Ray and Mark. I'm Ray. I'd be Mark. And, and tonight we have uh, a special guest with us once again in, in the uh, podcast lounge uh, is uh, Professor Mike. Hey, Mike. How you doing, Ray? Good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not that Here again. to enlighten us. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'll oh take God. the Gospel of John for 60. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> Somehow that never gets old. I don't know why. <laughs> it, it should. But... <laughs> So it's just not on Connery on Jeopardy. <laughs> oh my god! I'll take anal bum cover for a hundred, Alex. <laughs> Excuse me, that's an album cover. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> the rapist for four hundred. That was just about to say that. Yeah. What your mother said, Trebek. <laughs> Oh. Well, that's the perfect segue for uh, <laughs> for the Gospel of John. <laughs> that's right. We're not always so subdued, you know, but it's a heavy topic. So, did you want to uh, do the run up for that, uh, Mark? Sure, okay. sure. Um, you know, I, I we were talking about the Gospel of John, and I thought it's a perfect gospel to take a fresh look at with uh, with fresh eyes because if um, if anybody else is like me, they kind of gave the gospel kind of you know short shrift basically. But the um, you know you had the ministry of of Jesus, and then the early Christian community wasn't writing about the events of Jesus because they thought he was going to be right back with the apocalypse. And it got to a point where it wasn't happening. The elders of the Christian community were starting to die off. So they started putting the story of Jesus down in writing. And so you have, you know, the letters of Paul, you know, somewhere 48 to 66, common era. Gospel of Mark, somewhere 65 to 70, common era. Matthew, around 85. Luke, around 95. And John, around 100. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke have got these striking similarities. Uh, The three tell many of the same stories, sometimes with identical wording, and follow the same basic storyline. And because of these similarities, the three are called the synoptic gospels. And I guess synoptic means a common perspective. Mm -hmm. While 90% of Mark's stories appear in either Matthew or Luke, 90% of the fourth gospel, John, is unique. And as a matter of fact, um, John has been called the Maverick Gospel uh, by some writers. And so I thought it was, it was time for a fresh look. Uh, because it was written um, about 70 years after 
Jesus's lifetime, I kind of figured historically it's going to be the least accurate of the least historical value. Um, and I also figured erroneously that because it, it's probably lightest in history of Jesus, but heaviest in carrying the message of the early Christian community, John is probably the most fantastical in terms of having the most miracle stories. But the truth is actually the exact opposite. It only it has the fewest miracle stories. It has seven, whereas there are like 22 in Mark, 27 in Matthew, 23 in Luke. And um, in the synoptics, uh, Jesus's central message concerns the coming of the kingdom of God, and his healings and exorcisms are really meant to demonstrate its presence and power. People are called to repent and believe in the good news of the kingdom, and in this way they enter the kingdom and receive God's promised salvation. Jesus tells parables of the kingdom to describe its nature. But John's gospel, uh, in contrast, there are no parables or exorcisms. Uh, Jesus' teaching focuses more on his own identity and his unique relationship with the Father. Um, Jesus is the eternal Son who's come to reveal the Father, and salvation comes by knowing the Father through the Son. So while in the synoptics, salvation is primarily described as entrance into the kingdom, in John, it's knowing God and sharing eternal life with him. In the synoptics, Jesus' identity as Messiah is on center stage. But in John, um, it focuses less on his status as Messiah and more on his true humanity and true deity. Uh, he's the eternal son and the word or logos of God, God's self-revelation. And so while these are significant differences, they represent complementary rather than contradictory portraits of Jesus. So um, I think it's definitely worth taking a second look with fresh eyes because I, I think there's a lot of value in the Gospel of John. Well, he's just about covered everything, right? Yeah, I'm I, I, take what else can we say? Yeah, what, yeah. So John is different. Yeah, no, you, you hit the good points, Mark. You're absolutely right. And the whole notion of it not being historical, that's kind of sort of been the cause of a whole lot of um, <clears throat> the basis for a lot of its lack of its being appreciated. But uh, ever since um, uh, the Enlightenment, late 17th, early 18th century, um, what, what I um, tell my students all the time is that we, we suffer from a, a post-Enlightenment hangover. I mean, the introduction of facticity as a way of interpreting reality, <clears throat> emphasizing something's uh, uh, facticity, became central. I mean, it was the entrance of science into um, um, human awareness and reality being explained um, through a cause and effect uh, level of analysis. And it, it stands to reason that we would look upon something in our, as moderns as uh, historical as being synonymous with true. And that's the post-Enlightenment hangover. If you walked into a library before Immanuel Kant, it wasn't divided fiction, nonfiction. Truth was taught by story. So um, we look at Mark's gospel and we see some things that have arguably uh, clear historical provenance. But John's, uh, John's gospel is different. And as you point out, there are fewer miracles, but they're more uh, fantastical. You know, uh, it's like the saying in the trade is, you know, miracles improve with time, you know. So <laughs> you go from healing the withered hand to um, 
uh, to the marriage feast of Cana, raising Lazarus and uh, things like that. So, but the emphasis is is not on historicity as we moderns would understand it. And that's the cause of a lot of the problem. It's a theologized version, and it's concerned with the truth, not with the facts. Not that the others were preoccupied with facticity, but, but John's is, is not at all. It's our misunderstanding of it. That's the basis of it, anyway. No, it's kind of interesting that if you go to the very end, there's a little bit of a disclaimer. If like, well, maybe there weren't enough miracles shown, but this is only a small sample. And yeah. If you put them all together, it'd be more than all yes. the books in the world. Yes. You know, it's a little little hyperbole yep. there at the yep. end. Very much. So do you think that the difference in part was um, the challenges the early Christian church was facing at that time? Yeah. All the gospels were, I mean, they weren't... Um, you know, they, they were not historians. They were they were believers, and they were responding to realities of their time. Um, and a lot was happening in the late '90s. I remember telling you, Mark, in a conversation we had yesterday or day before or whatever, that um, and and this is an emph- you're, you're a historian, I know, and so this you know appeals to uh, people of that uh, intellectual. Uh, bent, um, but um, the early church, there, were, <laughs> there was a church council. Why I remember this, I don't know. Um, the Council of Jamnia, which is I think in the year ninety three, uh, that basically was pissed off at the the uh, Christians for having said you don't have to. Paul actually said in Galatians, you know, you don't have to um, become a Jew to become a Christian. Christianity having been a sect of Judaism. Early on, you don't have to become a Jew. You don't have to get circumcised. You can become a Christian. Well, that so infuriated the Jewish aristocracy that they kicked the Christians out of the synagogue, which was pretty uh, profound uh, punishment because you were isolated from from the faith tradition. You could not um, be a part of the community. And so John's community responded right at that time. It's in that period of time. His gospel was supposedly written in the mid to the late 90s was annoyed, and uh, re- that's why you have so much reference in John's Gospel to uh, the Jews, the Judaizers, and the Jews who were responsible for killing uh, uh, Jesus. And it really, historically, there's no basis for that at all. Um, but as a result of people not knowing that, uh, anti-Semitism a lot of time, times found traction in the New Testament itself, although it wasn't anti-Semitism, they were all Jews. Um, uh, but you, you find a lot of uh, Catholic theology grounding its Christology in John's Gospel, and um, it caused a lot of problems. Not John's Gospel, but the misunderstanding of it and the, the lack of appreciation of history, which is why your take on it, Mark, is, uh, is so important. So if, if you look at the, uh, the individual miracles, you know, turning water into wine, healing an official's son, healing an invalid, uh, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, healing mm-hmm. a blind man, and raising Lazarus from the dead. When you look at those miracle stories, what do you think they're saying? Yeah, just to the point that what's uh, always revelatory is the language, the words. And the word that um, John uses for miracle, they had the word miracle, telos, the Greek word. Uh, but he used the word <clears throat> simeon, which means signs. Jesus signs, and signs have no intrinsic 
um, value. The, their value is at what they point or at whom they point. Um, so the, the miracles are about Jesus' identity uh, as evidence of who it is you're talking about here. So it's less that than, again, the facticity of uh, the miracle or whether there were 5,000. You always see these justifications like, well, what he did is that they cut up the pieces and the food in small pieces and it showed the Christian sharing. Is I mean, that's a, that's, you're barking up the wrong tree. It's not the point. It's, it's uh, Jesus' signs, Simeon. Yeah, I, the thing about John is it, it reads almost like a catechism, the way it's structured. Yes, it's, it's out of all much. of them, it's very much structured, whereas <clears throat> the other ones are drawing heavily from what's called the Q source, which mm-hmm. is kind of the, the wit and wisdom of Jesus. It's mm-hmm. just you know a bunch of sayings and stories uh, that, that they've written down uh, out of an oral tradition, whereas, whereas this is more, this is what you need to believe, uh, this is the way you do it, uh, this, this is what Jesus's mission in life meant, and uh, if you do this, you'll live. You know, and there's a lot of numerology, there's a lot of structure to it. It's kind of interesting that the law of, of three is everywhere in it, mm-hmm. uh, which is basically the same origins as uh, three guys walked into a bar. It's, it's the way you tell a story, <laughs> it's, you know. Um, or uh, you know, uh, a, a priest, a, a rabbi, and you know, a minister walk into a bar. It's very much the same sort of thing. I, I think there's also, you know, between the first and second century, there's a large, large push uh, in the area towards uh, Gnosticism, which was a growing uh, influence. And I think a lot of this is to try to grab that that crowd. Uh, certainly, they think there was some earlier revisions of it that had more Gnostic beliefs in it. Uh, certainly, the, the the opening is very Gnostic. You know, in the beginning there was the Word. You know, that, that that's pure Gnosticism. Now, the Gnostics thought that uh, we all had a spark of the divine inside of us, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was more of a personal sort of um, connection. Gnosticism was pretty prominent with Hellenistic Jews, who were kind of. Um, you know, be more separated from the traditional Jewish culture and way of life, and, and we're more uh, contemplative, we're, we're more thinking about what life meant, uh, more existential. Uh, so I think that's what it was appealing. And if you look at the other Gospels, they have a pretty definite audience. And John's is a little more universal, but also I think is really uh, appealing to this group that's thinking on a more uh, abstract philosophical level. Mm-hmm. And the the miracles are really kind of speaking to us, aren't they? You know, is, isn't the the message really applicability to us? Yes. Uh, yeah. Without without question. Yeah. The audience is is us, and and in John's gospel, I mean, it's just this is like. Not to draw too hard a line between differentiating John and the Synoptic Gospels, but but definitely emphasized in John's Gospel is that the kingdom of God is is here. Like I said that is also in the others, but it's here. And the es- the eschaton, the the the, the uh, final event. You know, the um, like you said, Jesus wasn't coming back. So how is this to be explained? How it's explained is that it's happened. What do you mean it's happened? Um, and this notion that theologians, are, they have technological terms too that I get to use. I can't use computer talk, but I can, I can say things like realized eschatology, <laughs> which, which is John, which is the parousia is here. It happened. 
Oh, here's the, here's the catch. If you believe what you're being told, that the transcendent mystery of the universe supports you, loves you, affirms you, sustains you without bound or limit, you can't do anything to lose it because you didn't do anything to earn it, um, not because of what you've done, but in spite of what you've done. Uh, if you believe that, then eternal life doesn't begin when you die. It begins right now because um, you're free. You're free from the cares of this world. You're free from uh, the slavish adherence to um, the promises of this world that um, uh, money will make you safe, uh, power will make you strong, status will make you important. You're free from all that. So eternal life begins now. So viewed that way, and, and uh, John 12, I think, the Lazarus story, he wasn't saying Lazarus come out. It was Mark come out, Ray come out. It doesn't have to be this way for you. And that's the understanding of that. So yeah, he was talking very much to people who were wondering about Jesus hasn't shown up. What's the deal? Well, he has, but it's in a more theologized way. That's pretty powerful. I mean, that's a powerful way to put it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm that kind of guy, really. <laughs> so what about the 21st chapter? How, how does that fit in? That seems to be like something was just tacked on at the end that it kind of had an end, and then it had a second ending, then yeah. a little bit of a third ending after Yeah, well, Marx is the same way. Mark, the original Marx gospel ends with a discovery of the empty tomb. I love that. And, and the, the word is in the mouths of women who couldn't be believed in the first century. They couldn't give testimony at trials. And then you have subsequent redacted endings. So I think they all were subject uh, to that. And in John's Gospel, there's not only post-resurrection appearances, they're doing a fish fry at the beach. You know? Right. So it's, but it's not, again, people read that and they say, um, aha, you know, nonsense. But it's, it's, a, it's making a point. It's a, it's a sign uh, it's not to be taken uh, literally. That's not what the point of it was. Yeah, I, I think <clears throat> Jesus appears three times, doesn't he? After I don't know. After I think it I does lost in, count, in John. Yeah, it, it well, I mean, if you, you if couldn't it went keep in doubt, it's, down. Either, it's either seven or three. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one one of my favorite uh, themes that, to my mind, keeps repeating is the idea that you know heaven is all around us. Um, mm -hmm. You know what what's hidden from the wise is revealed to the the babes, you mm -hmm. know, and and the whole burning bush thing, you know, where you're standing on hallowed ground. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and talk about Gnostic uh, influences, the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, is a, a beautiful uh, quote, which I'll get wrong, but it's something like the uh, split open, uh, lift up a rock and you will find me, split open a piece of wood and I will be there. The kingdom of God is spread out like jewels, upon the earth we just don't see it uh, and that's subsequent to uh, john's gospel so how did, how did they decide what was going to make it into the new testament and not <clears throat> that's interesting i don't think anybody knows knows that but there are many many gospels um but what's interesting though i always found this interesting the ones that made it into the canon are the <laughs> it's it's wonderful i think there are saying sources like the gospel of thomas a lot of sayings 
sources where Jesus says, and it lists this saying, but you can't do much with that. The human mind doesn't work by memorizing bumper sticker type things, but the four Gospels are story-based. Right. Uh, they want to be interpreted. There's no one way to interpret it. Uh, in fact, it drives scholars crazy because what did Jesus actually say? Well, we don't know. There was a group of people, the Jesus Seminar, that uh, came together, and it was a, a marketing ploy. I think there were pretty good scholars in there, but you know they voted on the things that Jesus supposedly said, and they had colored beads they put in the jar. <laughs> I mean, it just was, you know. But you, Jesus didn't speak English. We don't know what the hell he said, you yeah. know. But you you weigh one story and its seeming emphasis on compassion, and that's supported through. The New Testament is shot through with that notion of compassion. And so you intuit from that the historical provenance of the teaching of compassion. Mm -hmm. And so when people proof text and want to go back and for some, you know, anti-gay thing and they get to Romans 1, you know, I say to them, what else you got? You know, and there's nowhere else, pure and simple. Right. Yeah, and uh, I guess out of all the Gospels, John explains the most. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so where the others will just tell the parable or, or the story, mm -hmm. John explains more about what does this mean? What's mm -hmm. the application? Mm -hmm. And when you mentioned the, the opening uh, in the beginning was the word, it's like the beginning of the Hebrew Bible. You know, pretty much it's a an echo of that and how that's... Um, been co-opted by fundamentalism and, and it's just a, a sad misunderstanding of it um and the the hebrew word for word uh, logos very important word in christianity means it does mean word but it also means um uh, event or plan so if you read it that way in the beginning because it's read the way it is in the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, Jesus obviously must be the Word, and Jesus is God, which is amazing because there was no verb to be in Aramaic. I, you know, but the Word means event or plan. So in the beginning was, was the plan, and the plan was with God. The plan was God, God God's self-identity. Um, and the plan became flesh. And so it's almost like God had decided um, not to remain alone. Oh, that's something you can preach on. You know? Right. Wow. God, and so needs us. Uh, God, you know, I'm, I'm just being interpreting. But it's like God wanted to be loved back. You know, that's heavy. Rather than this factoid that Jesus is uh, God. When in John's Gospel, the, the Father and I are one, but that's only understood properly through the following verse where it says, The Father is greater than I. Mm -hmm. But people get all hung up on uh, posting the bumper sticker of, you know, um, Love this only begotten son. You know. Oh, is it the John three? Yeah, whatever it is, I, I can't I remember. Blocked it. Yeah, that, that was everywhere for a while. Yeah, it is, and it's 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 just a kind of a meaningless uh, uh, factoid. What does it mean? Um, love this only begotten son. Sacrifice 
so pay for the sins of the world. It, that it's bad theology. Well, and and uh, just the whole idea of uh, of logos and, and logic and a plan. That's one of the quintessential things that you know we look to for religion is are we here for a reason is this just random or is there a plan and mm -hmm. you know it's it's pretty much affirming that yeah there's a plan this wasn't an accident mm -hmm. yeah yeah yep how did that come up in a conversation we were having mark uh, tilios the greek prefix meaning meaning uh purpose or goal it related to john's gospel didn't it i, I can't remember if it came up there or reading telic is there anything particularly noteworthy about the structure? Because there is that interesting uh, prologue. Yeah. And then um, the book of signs, kind of. Um, you know, so the, the book of glory and a conclusion. Or uh, is it just, you think it's just the way the narrative was? Well, I, I, I always understood the prologue as being a, an allusion to the, um, as a replacement of the Hebrew Bible, the Genesis, the begin. It was like a new beginning. So in the beginning was the Word. It's like a, it's like a um, we'll take it from here sort of a thing. That's the way I always understood it. Right, except it's like you left out Jesus the first time around. Yeah, this we'll is what happened. That. Yeah, we'll fix it. Yeah. yeah, this time. Right, using the Old Testament as a touchstone, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, and again, they were they were uh, Christians who um, believed that they, that they was a, uh, quite a rebellious thought at the time, didn't have to first become Jews to become Christians. And before that time, Christianity was simply a sect of Judaism, like the Essenes. But I don't know about what else, Mark, about the structure. Of, okay. I really don't know. I mean, the fact that I don't know doesn't mean that it isn't true because there are some things I don't know. I, I find I really that that hard to believe. To yeah, I, I don't. I, yeah, that's, I don't. Your professor Mike. I don't usually <laughs> let that out too much. But. We'll have to add more professors if you don't know everything. <laughs> so, so what about uh, the Gospel of John versus the the Epistles versus the Book of Revelation? Any relationship between those three uh, bodies of writing? Um. Well, I'm sure there. I'm sure there are. Um, you know, theologically, uh, historically, I don't know. The Acts of the Apostles, I think, tend to be held at arm's length as being um, very topical mm -hmm. and heavily symbolic and and obscure and kind of not that useful theologically to uh, uh, the modern audience, although. Although fundamentalism has a good time with it, you know, people will come to the door quoting from the Book of Revelations. You know. Yeah, and that's when I reach. I reach for the large polo mallet at that point. <laughs> yeah, cause, I mean, it, yeah, it's a it's a totally different type of. I mean, it's apocalyptic literature. It's it's yeah. very different. It's it's not meant to be at all literal. Well, also too, it's not you. I mean, I shouldn't be that derisive of it. I mean, it's not useful to. Someone seeking the truth, uh, wanting to know, you know, why am I here? Is there a purpose to this? Is it all this random crap and these awful things that can happen in this world? You know, it, it, it doesn't provide any answers. Uh, it's all riddles and warnings and fear-based judgments. And 
Mark and I have been talking a lot about the importance of, uh, of, of his orientation to theology, which is historical. Mm-hmm. Me, it's like uh, because of my background, it's, it's uh, literary, mythological, interpretive, that kind of thing. But the importance of that historical knowledge, um, to, to look at the gospel and say th- why the uh, uh, comments about the Judaizers and the Jews killing Jesus, which clearly a, a crucifixion was a Roman event, it just historically we know that. I mean, it, it would prevent a lot of the damage that's been done in the name of Christianity. Uh, but because a lot of, um, I mean, I can't imagine how the Holocaust could have happened. I mean, Hitler was not uh, a Christian. I mean, like, uh, but the people, why they tolerated it, uh, knowing that the church had founded this Christology on the Gospel of John. And I grew up, you know, listening to uh, stories that the Jews, you know, killed uh, Jesus. The Jews would have never given up a brother. Right, you know, uh, um, but to, to know the history, to know that that's simply demonstrably false, um, I think should make its way into catechesis um, in the church. But it, but it doesn't. And you get uh, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, that movie that was criticized for being anti-Semitic, and people people you know laughed at that because it's the Bible for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. No, it, it is and it isn't. It's a very uh, misunderstood interpretation of the Gospel of John. Is what it was. It's interpreted as history when it's not. Mm-hmm. The history is they were pissed for getting kicked out of the synagogue. So the Judaizers, the Jews, was institutional Judaism. It was the uh, that's who they were angry at. So, but they got picked up and mm-hmm. taken. And if it's in the Bible, it must be true. And I think in the scheme of things, the way it strikes me is um, the effort to memorize passages and try to find a way to make it literally true. I mean, factually, yeah. historically true, just yeah. robs it of its power. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. That's the power of a story, which is why the Gospels, like I said, the ones that made it into the canon are all the story ones. The The others are sayings sources. But you can't, you know... F- you can line facts up to make them say anything you want, but the truth is a little harder to get your arms around. It's like a, a professor told me in, in graduate school, you, you have to, and she held her hand out, and she said, you got to palm up, and she said, you got you to you hold it lightly like it was sand. Uh, if you close your hand around it, um, the sand, picture this image, you can't on a podcast, but of the sand coming out from between your fingers. And all you have left when you're done gripping is a fist uh, to shake in the face of those who disagree. So that's those who would stick a bumper sticker on their car about Jesus, you know, and what it means. It's like I, I always uh, feel a little uncomfortable about that. It's a little more complicated than that. Do we tend to overanalyze the Bible, and sometimes people are parsing things out word by word, and, and uh, um, 
you know, there's a phrase, uh, I can't, don't remember where it comes from, about we murder to dissect. Mm. So, you know, are, are we killing the message by trying to overanalyze it sometimes? If by overanalyze, you, you mean uh, like taking the meaning of a word, which theologians do. I mean, I tell Mark all the time, you, you want to read um, how boring historical Jesus research can, can be. You know, look at like some of, you know, John Meyer's great, you know, multi-volume um, uh, book on the marginal Jew and the historical Jesus. But if you look at the way it's done, it's it's like parsing out the meaning of the word and these little historical factoids. That's just a preoccupation of theologians. So on that level, yeah, you can overanalyze. But if it's to take the story of the raising of Lazarus, for instance, in John 12, what does that mean? Mary and Martha were there. They were people of means. Why was Jesus there? He came to get Lazarus, who was also a person of means. What does that mean? Did that have significance? That kind of stuff? I think that's, that's how you mine a story. So if you're talking about Hamlet, people do that all the time. You know? um, mm-hmm. And I think stories lend themselves. They invite that kind of... Of consideration, and I don't think it's that's overanalyzing at all. I think that's what you're supposed to do with it. Yeah, but at what point can you determine what's just incidental and what's meaningful? So that's, can't. Yeah, yeah. And I think part of the problem is, as much as it drives me crazy, um, you know, only because it's a challenge, it's an extra hurdle. But in my discussions with with Mike, how often things go back to what is the word in Greek and how was it translated? Because a lot of the over analyzing that's done is on a misinterpretation of what the original word was yeah, and what it was and, trying to convey. And that's not overanalyzing, obviously. Yeah. Words mean what they do. Right. Um, yeah. And so it drives me crazy only because this justifies taking a course in biblical Greek. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And yes, it's necessary. I'm, I'm surrendering. It is. I, I think it really is. It sure changed the way I, I think of it. Um, words. I, I remember this like was like one epiphany after another. About so that's what that means. John's or uh, uh, Mark's um, word for miracle uh, very revealing. He uses two words: ergon, which means works, but he uses more importantly the word dynamis which means power. It's where we get the word dynamite. Now, that's important. So they didn't use the word hocus-pocus, you know, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. They use works of power. Jesus' works of power, like dynamite. They explode into your life, tear down everything you thought you knew so that something new can be built in its place. Um, you can preach on that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, there's, there's some bad translations out there. Actually, before this, uh, th- we started recording, I was looking at uh, the Good News Bible, something I got in the 70s, just mm. went back and looked at it, and it is horrible. Mm. It's just a horrible translation. Mm. Sometimes you do lose a lot, no question. Yeah. And the King James Version is beautiful. It's in of, its, of its time, it was wonderful, from, you know, 1607. But it's got problems, so that's where we get, you know, blessed are the meek. Blessed are they who mourn. Sounds so quaint. Blessed are the poor. Aren't they cute? You know, when blessed, the Greek word makarios, it means happy. 
Uh, happy are they who mourn. Wait a minute. Happy are the poor. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Obviously, it's an oxymoron, you know. Uh, they're happy. Why? Because these are people uh, f- from whom everything was taken, albeit, you know, and, and brutally. So they have nothing to hold on to. Uh, no money, no power, no status, no safety. They're just there. So happy are because they, they're the ones who are able to hear what I'm going to tell them. Something exploded into their lives, tore down what they thought they knew. So now they're the ones who can hear me. So happy are they who mourn. Yeah. But if you don't know, we think blessed are the meek. Mm-hmm. And people hear that and they feel righteous and they go home feeling all kinds of warm and fuzzy. When I always tell my students, if, if, if you read something in, in, the, in the Gospels and it makes you feel all warm and fuzzy, you didn't understand it because it's talking about you. And usually it's unsettling. On a slightly different topic, but I was, um, I was telling Mike there's this, <clears throat> there's this series. I don't know if you've heard of it, Ray, but it's called The Chosen. Have you heard that? Oh, I think you mentioned it. I, I yeah. have not seen it. Um, I started to watch it and I got away from it. Yeah, I, it, and all it is is it takes the you know the gospel stories and it turns it into a a, a miniseries. And if mm-hmm. and if Jesus's ministry was three years, you know, there's going to be like three seasons of this. So obviously, a lot of it is you know, just speculation and storytelling. But the power it has is that these become real people. Yeah, you get to know them. Mm-hmm. And so after watching season one, I said, "Oh man, the end of season three is going to be brutal." Mm-hmm. Just because you develop emotional connections with these characters, you get mm-hmm. to know them. And what was interesting is um, there were a series of roundtables um, where the producer of the show, who I think kind of came from a fundamentalist background, but he's sitting down with um, mainstream theologians, you know, priests, that kind of thing. And they're sitting there chatting about the different ways to approach the stories. And they started talking about you know how fundamentalists read the bible and the the producer was saying yeah when i was growing up i think where it comes from is that we're just taught that human beings are so flawed that the soon as soon as you add a human interpretation about what's being said on the page you're going to be wrong mm-hmm. and so there's you hang on like a life preserver you know and i thought it was just an interesting insight mm-hmm. but i i see the power in, in what were they trying to convey yeah. as opposed to what's the literal, the literal uh, story. And, and uh, again, um, to um, not know for sure, to have no way of knowing for certain, it really is the opening of faith. Um, faith means trust, the Greek word. Again, here's one. It doesn't mean giving your intellectual assent to a series of propositions such that if you believe seven things and I believe eight, I have more faith than you. That's a, uh, a modern distortion of the New Testament meaning, or Hebrew Bible for that meaning, of faith. Faith meant trust, pistis. It means trust in the same way that we mean trust. Like, you know, do you know where your kids are right this second? Uh, are they safe? Well, yeah, they are. Well, do you know that? No, you don't. You're trusting that they are because if you couldn't, you couldn't participate 
in this conversation, you'd be a raving lunatic. You'd be dehumanized. So religious faith is the same way. You become more humanized. Because not knowing for sure and listening to the gospel stories and knowing that they're talking to you, um, uh, you know, you're going to have good days trusting it and bad days or good years or bad years or good decades or bad decades. There's an awful lot of people living in Emmaus. If you know Luke chapter 24, the road to Emmaus story, (laughs) they all didn't get stopped by an apparition on the road. I mean, most of my favorite people are living in Emmaus right now. Uh, that's just that's just the nature of faith, waiting to be delivered, you know, uh, or trusting or trying to hold on. But that's, and that's really, once you step out of the fundamentalist box, there's not a lot to hold on to. The New Testament says, find God there, right there. You're naked, you nothing to hold on to, good. Find God there. But all these terrible things have happened. I'm broken. Find God there. That's what it says. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. Can you? I mean, it's a bitch. Yeah. yeah. That's, a th- also- that's a theological term. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You have to say it in Latin, then it becomes a theological term. Uh, uh, bitch, bitch. Uh, I have to go to Google Translate. Bitch, a bitch, a bitch, <laughs> <laughs> So, But we also talked about uh, the idea of hearkening right yeah yeah um, yeah talk talk about hearkening and how it gets into faith I, I love that word we used to uh we used to have that word in our lexicon and it meant listen but it but more than that it didn't mean listen it's something you would say i say ray listen what i'm telling you and going, okay i just i say hearken unto me it's like stop there um listen to what i'm going to say with the willingness to be changed by what you hear. Insert a space before you talk, even before you think. And, and, but we don't do that anymore. You know? So that's why the word has disappeared from our lexicon. But faith is, uh, faith is that, hearken. Hang on, hang on, hearken. Just wait a second. What you, what you thought you knew doesn't work for you. If it does, you're not going to hear what I'm telling you. But you're going to find out that the promises of this world will fail you. In the fullness of time, they'll fail you. And then you'll hear what I'm telling you. So hearken unto that truth. The big things that that really resonated for me from our conversations was the idea of how much time I have spent basically saying I have to twist and morph myself to be a certain kind of person to open myself up to faith. And so the whole idea is now take who you are Mm. and find God there. That's pretty powerful stuff. Mm. Yeah. And then when you define faith as um, listening, but with a willingness to be changed by what you hear, Mm -hmm. if that's, if that's faith, I can do that, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, it's uh, it's just great, great stuff, and I'm, yeah. I'm having a ball reading through it. And um, well, you mentioned about that series, the chosen. You know, mm-hmm. I think that stuff is extremely important because it humanizes the characters. Um, I mean, Jesus was a, a human, and people say, "Well, no, he was more than that." Well, actually, no. 
he wasn't more than that. And therein lies the greatness because we're to believe that the transcendent mystery of the universe uh, chose to participate in human life. It's all, all of its limitations, all of its inadequacies, all the suffering, right up to and including a death on a shameful death on a cross outside the holy city, you know, so that there could never be uh, anything that could happen to you or to me that could be used as an argument for the absence of God. Now, um, that's that's powerful, but it requires a human uh, Jesus because if it becomes the one that's misinterpreted in John's gospel, the divine one, then it's just a, a being floating serenely over life's problems who knows how this is all going to work out at the end anyway. You know, well, we don't. I can't use that guy. That guy says no meaning to me. You know, give me a human one who's scared shitless. Um, and, and my favorite professor in graduate school used to say that, that the most surprised person on Easter morning was Jesus. Um, wow, this really works, you know. But before he got there, different story. Well, good topic. Yeah. Oh, do we, we have any, any, any other thoughts? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> Blessed are the cheesemakers. Blessed <laughs> are the cheesemakers. <laughs> He's not the Messiah. He's a naughty boy. <laughs> he I wants sent, us to walk with one sandal. <laughs> I sent Ray some Gregorian chant, and I realized I can't hear Gregorian chant without visualizing people with, like, cutting boards hitting themselves in the forehead. <laughs> Monty Python has ruined me. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> but I mean it's 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 how literate they were and tuned into things like that. Monty Python. They're oh, just, yeah. just brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. They were hysterical. Yeah. Well it's a great topic. Very enjoyable. Yeah. Worthwhile. Yep, definitely. So I love I, talking about this stuff. I don't really ever get to do it anymore. So, well, well, thanks for for coming in. My pleasure. And uh, we'll have to do this again. Yeah, I'll be around like a donut. <laughs> okay. <laughs>